You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir With Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. We are recording this episode, this panel episode, very special one, on the cusp of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is tomorrow night. Uh, Jewish people all over the world um, are focusing their minds and hearts on the slate should be clean and fresh in their meeting with God. However, there is another factor that many people are unaware of, but our Jewish tradition uh, demands that. And that is before we can make the slate clean with God, before God can expiate and give us the atonement that we request, we must at first make peace, repair our relationships with our fellow man. People that we've offended and hurt, damaged, we need to do the difficult job of coming to them and talking to them and getting them to understand how much regret we feel and to beg them to forgive us and for us to be able to understand the depth of their hurt in order for them to, to agree to forgive us. They might not forgive us. We know the Jewish law tells us that you have to try very hard and you have to use a tremendous amount of energy and wit and understanding in terms of getting that person to, as we say in Hebrew, to be mochelyu, to give you the salicha, to give you the forgiveness. It was because of this special Yom Kippur exhortation that we have that Rabbi Benjamin Shaiman, who is the uh, executive director and founder of Hinda Helps, and who has been, of course, with us uh, often in the last couple of months, Rabbi Shaiman suggested that for Yom Kippur, we take on a topic which is so relevant from Yom Kippur, but also in terms of criminal justice, and that is the restorative justice option for, uh, in terms of how we can apply it in our criminal justice system, there's some restorative justice. I'm going to read now uh, the the definition, the way it comes up when you put it up on your in your phone, and I know that we're going to expand on it. Besides Rabbi Scheiman and his wife, who are here, Rabbi and Abigail, uh, Abigail, we also have with us Ken and Chris, who um, former incarcerated persons who uh, are very familiar with restorative justice. Uh, they are advocates for it, and they are going to give us uh, uh, their 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 view of how it can be applied and how we should understand it. Uh, we also have with us uh, Captain, retired Captain Dan Sosnovic, 30-year veteran of the NYPD, uh, who will also hopefully respond um, with his view on whether uh, these types of ideas make sense and whether we can adopt them for, the, for our system at large. So here's the, here's the definition, Rabbi Scheiman. As soon as I give that, I'd like you to, to respond. Uh, the definition we have here is a system of criminal justice which focuses on the rehabilitation of offenders through reconciliation with victims and the community at large. Rabbi, 
start expanding. Okay, I'd like to start with a practical, true story of a woman who I counsel, uh, who was a victim of a crime. Uh, her cleaning lady, over the course of a number of years, uh, when she went shopping for this woman on her Target card, uh, bought stuff for herself, and it it it, it, it uh, ended up being over ten thousand dollars over the amount of time till it was discovered. She was fired, and um, this woman, uh, the the uh, uh, local authorities came. Do you want us to prosecute? Do you want to press charges? And she called me, and I told her, I don't think you should press charges um, for the following reason. If she's found guilty, she'll go to prison. You're not necessarily going to see any uh, compensation from it. She'll go to prison. She's not going to um, get rehabilitated much inside a prison system. And why don't you try to negotiate with her and uh, confront her and see if she admits her wrong and set up a payment plan with her and uh, you'll get your $10,000 and she'll um, understand what she did wrong. And that is exactly what the woman did. Instead of pressing charges and throwing into prison, that she met with the woman, they came to an agreement and they went to a mediator and uh, they came to peace with each other, even though the cleaning lady's not cleaning for her anymore, but she did set up a payment plan and eventually she'll get repaid all of her money. So um, there was a case of where there was a justice done for both parties instead of just throwing the, 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 the woman in jail, nobody gets their money back and she doesn't necessarily get rehabilitated. In so the so in, the, in the case that you just mentioned, Rabbi. For everybody, both the cleaning lady who had a family, if she would go away, it would be a terrible burden for the entire family if she ended up being in prison. And this lady probably would never see her money again. Whereas so, here, the cleaning lady stays with her family, the woman gets her money back, and they make peace with each other. So are you suggesting that, let's say, in, in cases of petty theft or breaking and entering, or when you discover who the, the, the perpetrator is, that the authorities that you contact should give a, a, an alternative to you before they, they move forward? In other well, words... The, the, well, the, the woman... Uh, the, the state wasn't ready to press charges unless the woman wanted to. So okay. You don't always have that choice. Sometimes the authorities go ahead and press charges even if you don't want to. The state presses the charges. In this case, that was not the case. Uh, the lady had the alternative to... Uh, uh, so, so could we say first and foremost that maybe in every case, let's say of certain, uh, uh, let's say low-level thefts, even though 10000 is a lot of money, but it's not I don't. I guess it is grand larceny. I don't know, but there maybe should be a, a, that option right on the table that people should know about of a restorative justice option. I, I think that's a, certainly a case of restitution where there's no physical harm done, where there's you know it's it's a, it's a monetary crime. I think that would be a very uh, good place to start in the justice system. As uh, and I think uh, you know there are studies that have been done. This is probably being used in other cases as well. Uh, this is probably being done in different areas, but I certainly think, uh, you know, like in the state of Illinois, that would be a good place to start. I want to bring in, I want to bring in your rabbits in here for a minute. One of the articles that uh, we shared together as a panel 
was the fact that restorative justice techniques have already been uh, implemented, especially in juvenile cases. Uh, a number of weeks ago, we had a program where we talked about uh, a theoretical case, but which hubs that deal with restorative justice that are in the African-American communities, they're not in the criminal justice system only as an adjunct. But in Canada, restorative justice has been part of the legal system for 40 years. And it's used a lot with Indigenous, um, Native Americans um, on reserves. It's used a lot with young, uh, younger um, defendants. And it's also used in other cases um, as an adjunct to the legal proceedings or even as an alternative in cases that involve uh, domestic violence, crime, and, um, and sexual offenses. And not only has it been used, but they have some very good data. And the data says that it works. Now, well, it's only for certain kind of crimes, but it's almost a 10 to 30% improvement in, um, in uh, restitution, compliance, victim satisfaction, the victims are happier, the recidivism has gone down, it is a big success. Um, now, you could be comparing apples and oranges because they're not. And so on the whole, the, um, and it reduces imprisonment and therefore also the cost to the system by so, 10 to 30%. Um, so it's actually very effective. It's so so how, how does it work in tandem? Uh, you know, let's spell it out. I mean, you have a person who has been, say, been arrested, let's say, for a, a violent a domestic case, right? A person who has, who has perpetrated violence against their spouse and has been arrested or their girlfriend right. or boyfriend, and, and now they've been arrested. How will, how, how will the restorative justice be used in tandem with whatever the Canadian authorities have arrested the person? Right. And it's often not used in domestic cases, but it is also, and it has been found to be effective. Either it's alternative to the justice system in tandem with the justice system or, um, or as, a separate, as a separate measure. Um, it, you start with the victim. The victim has to decide that they want um, uh, um, a conclusion, I'm missing the word. They want closure. They want closure and they don't get it in the court system. And so the victim has to be agreeable. Then there's mediators and facilitators and there's post support. Um, and sometimes what has happened, I'm talking now domestic, is that the family, you know, restorative justice happens in a community. It happens in a family. And so, and so often the, sometimes the marriage or the difficulties within the community and the family are repaired versus the criminal justice system, which um, has become not very effective. We do need alternatives, particularly in the states. The recidivism rates are horrible. The system is calcified and inflexible. And was, um, you said it's being used in, uh, in, in, from the, uh, the indigenous North American, in, uh, North American uh, population.
Um, and I, I think part of the reason it can be effective there is because the, the provincial authorities in those places have given like a separate tribal law to be, uh, to be used. So therefore, they're already within tribal law. Uh, whereas, whereas in a case of a domestic battery case where it's already part of uh, the, the civil, either provincial or uh, state law or federal situation, whatever it is, uh, it, it might be harder to insert uh, the restorative justice um, techniques. Actually, it, it um, did originate within the indigenous um, Ken, I know that uh, uh, you are a, 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 an advocate for uh, restorative justice. I think you've seen it applied and you know how it works. Uh, why don't you expand for us, Ken, uh, the idea and, and, and how this is something that, that we can realistically see as part of even the, the system of justice in the United States. Thank you. Um, first, it is being used in the United States, um, common justice in New York. Um, is one example, Daniela Sered. Um, I highly recommend people looking her up, looking up Common Justice, uh, her book, Until We Reckon. She's very articulate and you can find her on YouTube. But I just want to say she strictly is dealing with violent, what, what we classify in the criminal legal system as violent offenses. That's specifically what she is um, what her restorative justice program is working with, and they've had incredible success. Um, it's documented, and I um, so that's one example in the United States that is being used within our system right now and has found success. Um, and, is that, is that uh, the so state that's, of, that's one thing. Is that the state of New York? It's about how important it is to address what we can call violent offenses. And that's where it should begin. Um, and that's where they found the most success is in what we classify as that. So that's, that's a starting point. But, but even before that, why are we even talking about restorative justice? So like, obviously, we're, you know, you have this podcast, the system, there must be something wrong with the system, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be this podcast we wouldn't be talking about this and, and restorative justice wouldn't even be a thing. We, so there, so understanding that, then why is this system not working? Um, and how do we reimagine something that will? And so one, one of the things that um, I look at is things like patriarchy, um, white supremacy, um, uh, colonizer, colonization, like uh, capitalism, all of these things that say that we are separate and that there's good and bad people. We place values like, so, you know, if you are doing this, you're more valuable as a human being than this person and all these things. And so it makes it really easy to demonize and to think that, that whatever this person like we can do harm to them if they've done harm, like that's okay. And nobody gets harmed if we, because they're less and we dehumanize, we make people into objects, you know, based on their production or their education or their color or their sex or whatever it is. And I think these, are, this is where restorative justice comes in is 
for my, and, and I want to say um, that for everybody here, because we've been talking about it, but I encourage, and I would love to help this happen so that we can have more conversations about this, is to participate in all of us, in some, in circles. Because once you participate and you understand that it's about right relation and how far we have gone as a, as a society and as a person, as a human being from my own um, right relation with myself and then with my community and with everyone else, like it, it, it will change. Like you'll, it will just like, like, I mean, what it will do, I, it's hard to even put into words, but that will be like a big step in understanding why restorative justice is so powerful. What, what, um, what, what, and Kevin, I would love. There's, there's Kevin, I appreciate of- your passion is palpable for the average person who's listening. Um, we've heard a, a, a theoretical example. Let's say, uh, um, you know, Rabbi Scheinman men- mentioned the example of a person who had um, uh, taken advantage of another person and 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 put ten thousand dollars on their credit card stolen from them and left them with 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 terrible debt. Um, I mentioned to uh, to the Rebbitzin a case of domestic abuse or a person who had uh, beaten someone much uh, weaker than them. Um, let's talk about that second case. Just give me like uh, like let's say how would that work? A restorative justice um, meeting work as far as that goes like just just walk me through as if as if i'm an elementary school child what would happen well first of all it, the first question asks is like who's been harmed and um what do they need what are their needs and then how do we okay so um, let's say let, let us say that what, let's say it was a man uh, and a woman the man was stronger than the woman and and the woman was beaten um, by the man in a domestic dispute, and she has a, a number of broken bones and bruises, and 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 she's she's hurt with medical costs and with damage to her to her self image, etc. So there's the hurt right there. Okay, that we know who the person who did it. There was witnesses. How does restorative justice? How would restorative justice work there? Well. It, it, I appreciate that you bring this example, but, but in order to really um, talk about this, like this understanding, first of all, that what does a victim really want? And from my understanding, from what I've learned is that they want to make sure, number one, that it doesn't happen again. They want to have, be able to be seen and heard and be able to like, like actually talk about what happened and how it affected them. Um, they want They'd love, they would like somebody to take responsibility and be accountable. And they don't believe most victims, and this is, you know, again, I've got lots of books and lots of things to show you from victims speaking that have gone through violent harm. harm. This is like, I don't believe that if they go to prison, that they're not going to come out and harm me or someone else again. I don't believe that. And that if this can do something that will help them so that they don't cause harm or violence again. If this can help, and why did they do that? And and if this can help me, so I'm not afraid of them or someone else coming after me, if this can heal me and help me, I want this. And that's what this is about. And and that's why people want it. And so first of all, it's it's victim-centered. 
which is not what our criminal justice system is. It's not victim-centered. As a matter of fact, please, you know, another one is Miriam Kaba. Listen to her talk about this, um, specifically related to sexual violence and sexual offenses, um, because she'll talk about how all the women that she knows that have gone through it have felt more victimized and that they found more closure in dealing with this more of a restorative or transformative way. So what I'm saying, so, so when talking about this, is the other thing that I want to say is that it's actually easier for a person who's caused harm to go to prison than it is to sit in a circle and listen to how they have harmed people, how it has affected people, take responsibility, be accountable. Like that's scary. And in our society, we are taught from an early age to be like, and it's part of white supremacist like culture and stuff is like to be perfect. Like if I make a mistake or I cause harm or I do something bad, I'm unlovable. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be hated, put out of the tribe. You know, I'm, it's scary. So we get defensive. That's like a natural because of our culture, because of our society. And so people don't like to like admit that they have done harm, that they have caused harm and then look people in the eye and say, yes, I did this. I hurt you. This is what I did. And so that's part of the healing, going to prison and being isolated and not have to face any of this is a lot easier for a lot of people than sitting in a circle and listening to the harms that you've caused, the how it's affected people, listening to their family, listening to the community. Because remember, this is about relations and right relations. And when we harm someone, we harm everyone. And everyone is affected, not just the person, but the, all of their relations and all the people in our community is affected. And the other part is that we, that, and that's where this comes from, indigenous, I think somebody brought up indigenous, but this isn't like, I imagine Jewish cultures way back too, when they were smaller groups and everybody mattered and nobody was disposable. And we realized that if someone was doing harm, where have we as a community also played into this and what can we do together to heal? And so that's part of this whole conversation is understanding how restorative justice, why this is so powerful and important, and that if we think people are disposable and we don't see the interconnectedness, like quantum physics kind of shows, like how, like as, as science, biology is showing like how, how there's like this, instead of hierarchy that we've been like taught in this patriarchal um, society, like that to realize that the interconnectedness, we all work together for, and we're all like yeah, one I, person. If yeah, like, you can't I, heal I, I, by harming someone else. You can't I, heal by punishing someone else. Those are, those are some things. I think what you said that uh, the victim wants to be heard. The victim wants to make sure that she, let's say if it's a woman, that she isn't going to be hurt again. And that that person who, if it was a man, let's say, um, that that man will not hurt other people again. Um, I, I'm sure that, that, like you say, that is primary. Um, but I, I think we probably have to at least hear, and we're going to maybe hear from others, 
uh, the idea that society um, has a responsibility also to uh, to uh, for the safety of others, because let's say we do have a restorative justice meeting, let's say between the woman and, and in my theoretical case, and the man explains what's going on and they realize what's happening with each other. Uh, Ken, what would you say might be an outcome? The man was brutal. The man beat her up. She's she's she got bruises, internal injuries. What might a restorative justice council determine is the proper, will the, the tribunal determine? Like what could be a theoretical determination? Um, you know, in, in Rabbi Scheinman's case, the money can be paid back. The woman, you know, can do some penance or whatever it is that she won't steal again. What, what, what could you see as a theoretical answer? without marginalizing the person, without demonizing the person, but yet rectifying, restoring the situation because it was clearly broken. And I'm not saying the person acted totally out of, he was a monster, but clearly what occurred was a monstrous outcome. Ken? Thank you. And your first part of the question was about, or the statement was about like, you know, we have a, a you know, for society to be safe, like we have some re responsibilities and obligations there. And so remember that, first of all, when we go, when they go into restorative justice, before the two parties get together, there's a lot of preparation. And if the person who has caused harm is not ready or willing to take responsibility and be accountable, there is not going to be this process. So that's the first, you know, and, and it doesn't just happen where we bring people together. There's a lot of work and a lot of preparation and many circles sometimes in, in finding out what, what, why, what needs to, to have empathy, to all these things in preparation. Um, once you have that and somebody is will, is, 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 wants to take responsibility um, wants to be there, can listen, can, um, and, you know, we have a talking stick, but there, then, um, then uh, there's a lot that goes into not just um, taking responsibility, but what does that person need? What are both needs? Because the person who's caused harm probably has needs too, in order to not offend again, not hurt again. And those have to be addressed and followed up. It's not like you have a circle and then it's over. There's, there's follow-up, whether it's drug and alcohol, counseling, therapy. Um, and then, like you said, reparation. Is there something that they can do? Just like I, I heard uh, one comment says, well, if somebody burns down your house, um, what do they need? They don't need to burn down their house. They need their house rebuilt, right? So how can this person help rebuild that house? What is it that they can do? Is it... You know, is it will they work and pay some some money back, or will they help with some other things? And um, there's all kinds of stories of what victims have asked for and wanted. And and again, I go to Common Justice because they have a number of these stories that are pretty amazing. And I, I you know, there's all all kinds. It's not just money. It's not the nature of every crime or interaction is so different and individualistic, the, the process, there isn't just a, a, a one answer or a definitive approach. 
It really depends on each case. In each case, the uh, the examples are going to be different in, in terms of the results. I think that's sort of a, what, what I get, what I'm getting from you. I don't think I'm, I think I'm understanding it, right? That it's going to be different in each case yeah. based on based on what's needed from or what's expected from each party. I want to bring in, uh, and thank you so much. I, you've definitely expanded, been with us before, and uh, I know you've talked about this, you've spoken about this uh, on a telephone call recently. You told me that you wrote a paper about it. So um, how can you help expand on 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 the on what uh, Ken has shared with us? Okay, thanks for having me on. Um, the rabbi and Abigail and Ken have done a good job here explaining stuff, and I'm going to fill in a couple of gaps that I think maybe weren't addressed. Um, first of all, the restorative part of restorative justices, uh, restorative justice. When I learned about restorative justices from Mikhail Lubyansky down at the University of Illinois, and this is the explanation he gave, and this focuses on the restoration aspect. Now, the people listening aren't going to be able to see me, so take a journey with me and try to envision this. The scales of justice, the statue, the scale of equality, the woman with the, uh, with the blindfold. So here is the victim. Here is the perpetrator. When the perpetrator commits the crime, the victim goes down. See what I'm saying? Now, contemporary criminal justice in America, its goal is to bring the perpetrator down as well. What restorative justice wants to do is bring the victim back up, restore them to where they were in the beginning. Quite often when crime occurs, not every time, sometimes you're asked if you want to press charges, nobody really cares about what the victim wants. I have been the perpetrator of crime, and I have had crime perpetrated against me, and neither time, did, like the, my victim, they didn't ask what they wanted. They got the restitution paid back. They didn't want me in prison. We were friends again before it happened. Same with me. When I was robbed, I never even heard what happened. Nobody came back to me. I don't know if they got anything. So the victim is very often not addressed. Maybe in certain cases, you have a victim impact statement after the conviction before the sentencing, but that's about it. Now, one thing I do want to address is there are certain changes that will have to happen in society. Right now, America is punitive. All we can think of is revenge, revenge, revenge. I've been hurt. I want somebody else to hurt. For restorative justice to work, we have to transform the hearts and minds of people. And that's where we get the resistance we see. And there is plenty of resistance. But the fact of the matter is the criminal justice system isn't working. It's not. If it was, we wouldn't have crime or alternatives. Is this a viable alternative? There are holes. There are problems. I'm pragmatic. I'm the first to, to say there are. Um, the first one is a person has to accept guilt. If they don't accept guilt, they can't enter mediation. And that's bad because that makes us rely on the judicial system, which hopefully, eventually, this could replace the judicial system. <clears throat> I am so sorry why I'm coughing so crazy. <clears throat> but we have to transform the entire system in society to look at crime in a different way, to realize that crime doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a reason somebody is victimized. There's a reason somebody commits a crime. I often say that hurt people hurt people. So we have to address the hurt that is starting this chain and cycle of criminality and violence. Um, so with that, even though it might sound that I'm critical of restorative justice, I'm not. I really think that we have to take steps to get towards there. Every decision we make would be how can we make this happen? Because the victim has to be the center. It can't be about the perpetrator. It can't be about the fender. It has to be what the victim wants. And oftentimes the victim 
might want an apology. They're obviously going to want restitution. In certain cases of extreme violence or extremely heinous acts, I don't know what that looks like right now. But what okay, we're doing now right, is which, which is which is what I was trying to get Ken to answer me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not saying that, for example, in the case, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse or keep on talking about this theoretical case, but I under, I appreciate what you're saying, Chris. It's probably true that the person, the man that I was speaking about, probably himself was a victim of violence. And that might be one of the reasons why he perpetrated violence upon his girlfriend and beat her the way he did. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't deny that there were psychological reasons and societal underpinnings for why uh, this was happening. But yet, you know, you you, you have pain and, and a woman who's who's been who's a bloody pulp. How, how does her story? Like I said, you know, it seems like restorative justice. You know, how would it work to 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 deal with that? That's really what I was trying to find. That's out. what I was saying at this level, at this time, with this system. I'm not sure what that would look like. First, you would have to ask her what she wanted. But what if she wants them incarcerated? You know, then we're back to the regular criminal justice system. But like Abigail was saying, or the rabbi, and I think everyone touched on this, this is a viable option if somebody is interested in it. And this is an incremental change. Society is not ready to snap our fingers. Tomorrow, we're going to fully restorative justice. These practices have worked in the past, and they've been effective in small sample sizes. And that you extrapolate that data, and there's a good chance it could be effective everywhere. But we really have to work on changing the entire system. And this is just one part of the bigger picture of transformative justice, which hopefully leads us to a world where we don't need prison. There's always going to be crime. There's always going to be violence. But this criminal justice system as it is, is not addressing it. It's not reducing it. It's dividing the country. It's dividing so many people and it's causing okay. so much harm. So, so yes, what I'm saying is restorative justice, we need to head that direction. But I'm also not naive enough to believe that we can have somebody who kills someone in a restorative justice tomorrow. We have to change a lot more before we get to that fact. But incrementally, Yes, we could absolutely institute this for petty theft, large theft, non or or juvenile, and, and as it's been seen in juvenile crimes. And I've also I sent all of you, if you if you noticed, uh, a, an article about how it's being implemented in some of the inner city schools that yeah. have become sort of like miniature prison camps in themselves, and how are they, they're using restorative justice techniques so the kids understand, and maybe that that's where we can make some change. Um, Yitzchak, we're always happy to have you. You're the only one on our panel here, I think. You know, part of what Zoom does is allow you to see the reactions of everybody around. Uh, I'm not going to guess uh, what Captain Dan's reaction was. I do have a little bit of sense. <laughs> I do have a little bit of sense of, 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 of where you're going to come from, but I'm going to let you speak for yourself, Dan. What, what do you have to say about what you've been hearing tonight? Well, I mean, I what, what I'm here, what I think I've heard so far in our meeting is that restorative, I've heard restorative justice works. I have heard that it, it really does wonders for all involved, but it seems like it's weighted to a great extent based on the discussion towards the perpetrator. And I'm not, I don't think that I'm hearing too much weight being given to the victim. And, and again, it, I mean, Chris just answered this. So I think perhaps it's, it, it is, you know, it, that was the first question in my mind is what happens with, does the victim have a say here? 
In other words, or is it just, are we going to like automatically assume that restorative, restorative justice is the answer to our ills of society? So Chris seems to indicate that the victim always has to say. And even then, I'm not so sure that that type of thing works because, for example, New York City used victim decision-making in domestic violence cases for decades until it was determined that you had to take those decisions out of the domestic violence victim's hands. And the police were basically issued no, uh, no, no, uh, no tolerance uh, directives. They, they didn't have any uh, why was that, any Dan? discretion. Dan, why, why did it change? Why was it taken out of the victim's uh, discretion? Because the system found that they could not trust the victim's judgment in a lot of these domestic cases, because they didn't know if they were being threatened and not saying anything. They didn't know if we were dealing with a uh, Stockholm syndrome or a battered wife syndrome type situation. And, uh, you know, it just became where oftentimes a victim would say to the police, I don't want to press charges, you may leave. And then we would find them either beaten or dead uh, several days later. So eventually that became a no discretion type of criminal, uh, criminal enforcement in many domestic violence cases. So I, I sort of feel similarly in this regard that I don't know that I would be so comfortable in giving so much power to the victims to determine the course of justice. Um, that, that might not be the best, that might, that might not be the best formula either. And then, of course, there's the myriad questions that I have in my mind about, you know, the serious crimes, the crimes that for which there can really be no restoration. I mean, when a person when a person is uh, when a person's breadwinner and a father and a husband is taken away permanently due to a homicide, well, what kind of restoration are you going to offer? Um, even like a guy like Bernie Madoff that he, he engaged in a decades long, a decades long, uh, you know, criminal conspiracy. There's no way he's going to ever repay all the institutions that he bankrupted and all the victims that he bankrupted. So I don't know, it, it sounds, it sounds good in some type of a very, very academic or abstract sense. But I'm not, I'm not so sure that I'm seeing where the reality is going to really hit the road here. I, I want to throw out one other thing. I know that, you know, the, the, the other about was sort of like a zero sum game option. Is it, are you interested in helping and correcting the situation? Or are you interested in punishing, marginalizing uh, the person who committed, demonizing the person? I, I think there's something in the middle. Um, and, and we have this in the Torah because we started from the Torah and the, and the Torah's prescriptions, and that is the deterrent effect. There is this idea of making a, a lesson. Uh, I know, believe me, I've been and many times in school. I was the kid that they had to make the lesson out of that the other kids would know. So I understand how, how, how terrible it is when you're the one they made the lesson of. Um, but, you know, do you believe from where you're coming from? And I want to get some other responses on this, too, is, 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 is there is something about 
don't do this because you don't want what what you don't want what happened to this person to happen to you. Now, does that mean that that person is completely uh, dehumanized and turned into a you know a person that we stone and it's monstrous? I don't know if it goes that far, but the deterrent does that is that working? Uh, the idea that um, you know people will be afraid to go that path because of what they understand what happened to that person. Again, we go to my theoretical case of the person who beat the woman. If they realize that that person is sent up for whatever it is, a certain amount of years, will that be a deterrent for others uh, when they realize that you can be arrested and you can be sentenced, et cetera? So, so I mean, I'll jump in first. I, I mean, I think that that, I agree with some of the other panelists that the system is broken probably the most on that very point. I think that it probably uh, punishment was to serve as a deterrent. And I don't know that we're seeing that in today's society. So I think that when we are hearing from some of the other panelists about a broken system, and I happen to agree with that point, I think that a lot of the breakage is occurring at that juncture where it's not really serving as a adequate deterrent. And I think that's part of the problem, but I yeah. close up. Yeah, real quick. First, I'll, I'll just say I'm happy that we all kind of agree that the system isn't working, whether you want to call it broke or isn't working, or that the prison really isn't a deterrent for many people. For some, it definitely is. Like a police officer is not a deterrent unless that police officer is standing in front of the bank you want to rob. So I'm very realistic about stuff. Also, the concerns of Captain Dan, oh, hope I can call you that, sir, um, that he made about domestic violence. Uh, we do a lot of studying domestic violence in UIC, and yes, that is that is a serious situation. A lot of those people do suffer from Stockholm Syndrome and may not be making the correct decisions, might be inter- intimidated, might need the breadwinner not to be sent off. But what this comes down to is we have to change the whole system. Yes, I sound like I'm repeating myself, but what I heard Dan say was that he doesn't buy that sounds like good an academic thing or that sounds like a, a, a happy dream but if we keep thinking that we can't change this then guess what we can't change this and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse um restorative justice can't happen in a vacuum there's all these other things that have to happen we have to change the society and if we think which i'm pessimistic sometimes i work in reentry. i'm like this is never going to change but if we think that defeatist attitude nothing will ever change this is one step towards a world where hopefully prisons aren't necessary and if they are necessarily greatly reduced populations we have to find an alternative to just warehousing these people and forgetting about them when they come out a lot of them can be worse not all of them i mean i did okay ken did okay i've worked with plenty of people who have done okay but i've also had friends kill themselves i've had friends go back for the rest of their lives it's because of the system And it might sound like a diversion, like you keep going back to the system, but that's what it is. This is one step in correcting the mistakes of our ancestors and mistakes in society. And on that, go ahead, Dan. Okay. Let me me just, I mean, let me just, I mean, add, I guess, a point on that is that, you know, I agree that if the system is, is, is really just warehousing bodies, which again is one of the biggest problems. And I agree with that, that is a major problem, but it seems to me like we have a tremendous amount of football field between the system of warehousing and all of a sudden dragging in the victims and we're going to create this circle and we're going to have this restorative thing where we're going to help everybody 
I think we have a lot of room there. I mean, it seems to me that there could be some programs just to start to teach people that what they did is wrong and, you know, to develop some sense of, you know, societal societal uh, duties and civic duties. I mean, I think there's a lot of room there before we jump into this idea of, you know, let's bring the victim in and let's get, you know, and again, because again, a lot of these people, when we're talking about, you know, the amount of loss, they'll never be able to repay. Okay. I, okay. Um, so, Ken, why don't you start? Ken, yeah. if you respond, please. So, uh, I, yeah, I do want to say something because this isn't restorative justice. It's nothing about dragging a victim in. Like, that's not what this is at all, all about. This is about centering the victims, which our system does not do. It means what do, what, what do they need? And they get support. It's not like they're left alone to like decide and, and work off of their, um, their woundedness. They get support to see what's going to be best and most helpful for them. And they're not like, this is, this is about what is best for the people that have been affected and how do we heal because there's when there's harm like our system is not about healing at all and restorative justice is completely about it's healing justice it's literally when a harm is done what can we do to heal to come back and we get support for that we're not throwing it's it's not about like throwing a victim no it's centering those that have been affected those have been harmed that's that's huge and and it can't be minimizing it and and to say that a victim doesn't know or shouldn't get what they need that's that's horrible like to me that's like that hurts terribly um a victim should get what they need and have all the support and it should be about them because they're the one not the state yeah, what, what you know, about so if, I, I, I just I just have to do that. What about if the you know we talked before, Ken, if the victim uh, demands uh, a punishment, if that could happen too, right? Chris mentioned that that sometimes, or like, we we heard from Dan situations where the victim has been cowered by psychological or other factors not to express themselves, and then we also heard from Chris the possibility of sometimes the victim actually wanting punitive action against the person who did that so right so yeah. right that could happen too in, in the restorative justice i uh, where somebody who has caused harm where it's not practical or possible to sit with the person you've harmed because you but you want but this is maybe after you've been to prison or whatever it is and you want to work on taking responsibility and being accountable and facing the, what you have done that's possible, but but restorative justice is really when um, a victim wants this, and it's it's centered on them and their needs. And if they don't want it, they're not going to be like no one's forcing a victim to to be there if that's what. And I guess I wasn't clear. The victim might say, "I want to hear from that perpetrator why the perpetrator did it. I, I don't want to be just considered." Uh, a number and a statistic. I want to hear well, it, that, but, but but then when they hear it, they say, "I've heard it. Now I know why I was hurt." But I still would like to see you punished for it, even though I heard what you said. Um, possible that after sitting in a circle 
and somebody taking responsibility and they wanted to be heard and they wanted to have somebody take responsibility, you know, be accountable and responsible. Um, maybe they, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios that could happen. I mean, the thing is, is that this does work and it does center and it, it, it does heal. And if we want healing in our society, if we want a healthier society, the, the last thing I'll say is that restorative justice is also preventative because when we heal, we don't continue. We, we actually heal what is causing us, even like um, Dan said, like, like a, a domestic, somebody who's been affected by domestic violence might've been in a relationship that was not healthy. And maybe that came out of their trauma. And if we all get healing, we're not going to continue the cycles of violence. And Daniela Sered says she's a an abolitionist of violence, like violent abolitionists. How do we, how do we eradicate violence in our society? And that to think that that's possible, restorative justice is a way a healing to bring healing when relations have been broken, when harms have been done and caused. And this, this um, can help, this this can help us so that we don't perpetuate or ripple further disconnection, further harms, um, which obviously our present system is not doing um, with the recidivism that we have and the amount of of incarceration and violence. Point about a vicarious um, restorative justice, I think, is something that uh, you know, we in the micro level, I think many of us could probably practice. You know, when we if, if there are people that we have hurt not in a way that uh, quantifies as a criminal act, but at least in a way as an insult, a hurt, um, a dismissal. And then when we're thinking about, especially right before Yom Kippur, it might be worthwhile asking a friend to play, to role play the part of that victim and, and, and test your apology out and see how it goes. Most of us, I think, think about our apologies, how we're going to apologize. And we see it so much from our own perspective. I think it's always great to have uh, a, 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 a significant other or a good friend play that role for you if you, if you can't meet the person that you've hurt and, 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 and therefore be able to model for you what, what that's going to be like. I think that is a very effective technique in general. Uh, Rebitson and Rabbi, we're going full circle over here. How do you guys want to want I just wanted to uh, mention that uh, what's the restorative justice if you keep beating a dead horse? That's just a joke. But now I'll let my rabbits in uh, get in. I was just going to say that we're missing one word, and that word is accountability. And restorative justice is about accountability. And that's why in Canada, police officers like Captain Daniel are part and parcel of that restorative justice system. The criminal courts are part and parcel of that restorative justice system. And often cycles of violence, like sometimes they'd have to arrest a whole tribe. <laughs> they had points where they were. And so there was this endless generational cycle and they broke it and they broke that cycle. And therefore the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police became proponents of restorative justice because it did include accountability. It isn't just, a, it is about healing. It is about breaking cycles. It is about the victim dealing with trauma and, and getting closure, which they never do in the court systems, dealing with their fears, but it's also about accountability. 
And I think that's an important word um, in any restorative justice process. It isn't just that a woman comes and says, I forgive that person. There's a whole procedure around it. There's whole standards and guarantees that the community and the criminal justice put in. And so I think both um, extremes are naive. Saying that it's just about a woman coming in without any around her is that's not functional. And then saying it's um, it's non it, it's um, about hurting a person is also not functional. We need to look at solutions and results. And restorative justice in many in many instances are showing results. Well, and so we need to look at it seriously. Yeah. Well, again, I guess making uh, these results better known. Uh, putting them out in the public uh, sphere that people hear about them, uh, putting them out in, in what we would call, I guess, the standard. I, our podcast is probably not standard, but putting them out there so people, it, it becomes part of the natural currency, uh, you know, and, you know, it has a beautiful name. I think it needs a beautiful PR. I think it needs more stories uh, for people to understand and to see examples of its positivity. And if when people know about it, I think, you know, Ken has told us places to look. And I think that the more that it can be seen, I think the more people can view it as, uh, as, as an option in tandem and maybe eventually, if not a replacement, but at least something that, that, that can stand uh, as, as a great option. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to mention. Scott. Uh, we're always happy to have you. As I said, you are the employee of the correction uh, of the Department of Corrections. You're the only person who's getting a paycheck from the other side. Why don't we give you the last word here, Yitzchak? Well, well, there's there's two sides of this issue. One is so many times uh, the when dealing with with the perpetrators and and survivors of of crimes and things like this, they don't even make it to the point where there's even any justice is served because well like like uh, I, I think Dan said something about there's this idea that people want to be perfect and not only people want to be perfect sometimes societies want to be perfect you have some communities where they have low crime statistics so the the there'll be a corrupt police officer who will cover up crimes just to keep those crime statistics low and and people will get away with with very horrific crimes uh, and and have no justice served, and and they they'll even blame the victim, uh, you know, say you know you, you let him on these types of things when when it's very clear that, you know, the the victim is was very horribly hurt. Um, as far as this whole idea of uh, restorative justice, it is something that we do practice in in the Pennsylvania state system, but there are a lot of steps before someone can get to that point as we, as was discussed here before you can't just jump into writing an apology letter trying to make uh make amends for for to to the victim of the crime because uh, sometimes first of all the survivor of the crime is not ready for that themselves and then the uh and and also quite often the You'll, you'll have cases where the, the perpetrator is not really honest about it. They're going through these motions, but they really haven't really made penance yet in the, in the penitentiary. They, they, they have to get to a point where they're ready for this. And sometimes you're rushing into some of these things. It's not, 
it it doesn't come to always what what it needs to be done but then there there are other times we know a lot of stories where uh survivors of crimes they'll they'll actually wind up befriending you know it's it's not always uh a stockholm syndrome type thing but actually that there has been restoration there has been justice and and uh, and and it does work out sometimes so so yitzhak are you uh, you know chris was mildly optimistic i guess um hopeful but mildly optimistic um would you say that you're already seeing the beginnings of it in the quaker state right and i guess it's i guess it's correct that it should be the quaker state shouldn't it right well, pennsylvania it, it, right yeah, it, it is something that we do and i think a lot of other states do engage in this but we have to be we have to recognize i think they do it in a wise way to to rush into this and to assume that somehow eventually this is totally going to replace the prison system i, I think is uh, it, it's naive and it's dangerous because it's not it, there there are it's not going to happen it's not we you know we, when we do in in the rare occasions where we do engage in this type of thing where we do have you know apologies and things that that are along these lines the we have to wait until both sides are actually ready for this because we don't want to open up old wounds you there is another issue that we have is that there's uh sometimes uh, one thing that uh one of my fellow uh, chaplains that I supervise who's a, an expert in the mental health and psychological aspect of chaplaincy in the criminal justice system is that sometimes a perpetrator of a crime will 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 conduct himself will will be kind of voyeuristic meaning when he describes the crime again he relives it in a in an unhealthy manner um so and and that it's 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 way beyond um you know the immediate future and it's, and, it's and something I, that 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 I think uh, not only that I think it can only be very rare and in certain cases. It's okay, so I look. We appreciate look. Part of the reason why we have this podcast is to have a multiplicity of opinions, and it's wonderful that any time of the year, especially before Yom Kippur, human beings can 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 agree to disagree to see each other's points, and to recognize the value uh, that the other has. And to recognize what they still need, um, so I want to thank everybody uh, for for beginning the conversation, uh, for uh, for Chris and Ken, for um, enlightening us for things that we didn't know, uh, for uh, for Rebetzin, uh, Abigail and Rabbi for doing their incredible work and uh, in what they have been doing. Um, Dan, always great for you to uh, to bring you in, and um, and and, and Yitzchok. You know, uh, again, I think the uh, correction system is lucky to have someone like you, uh, a person who's uh, big enough to understand the other side as well. Uh, My my wife, my wife, actually, she's. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 